when I looked at my goals and where I wanted to be at at that time, I was like, the way to fast track that is through short-term rentals. But I think that is why so many people have gravitated towards it in the last three years is because they've realized how much these short-term rentals can actually make. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest has a syndication model that I don't think we've talked about on the show before. Uh, His name is Alex Jarbo. He's a short-term rental developer and manager. And and while we we don't go into a ton about short-term rentals today, we do talk about how he got into this development business, but how he got into syndicating short-term rentals and developing them as well. I think it's a pretty cool business model how he scaled you know, the short-term rental model that so many people are are gravitating towards right now. He's the founder of Sargon Investments, has a goal of developing 650 cabins in the next three years. Alex holds an MBA with a concentration in real estate development and is currently finishing a doctorate in business with a concentration in leadership. So Alex goes through, you know, how he got to where he's at, of course, uh, but it's really cool. Military background, you know, he he loved the cash flow from short-term rentals, and but he wanted to do it much bigger than than most and he's doing it so it's it's a really cool story i know you're going to learn a lot and be encouraged alex welcome to the show you, you are one of very few short-term rental people i've had on the show who are actually syndicating short-term rental projects and developing i would consider pretty large uh, you know, short-term rental properties. I, I think it's a very unique business model that you have. I'm looking forward to getting into that. Tell the listeners a little more about who you are and and how do you get into, how do you become a syndicator of short-term rental development project? Yeah, so I mean, a little bit of background about me. I um, served four and a half years in the Marine Corps. Um, during, during my last year uh, in the military, I decided to learn more about real estate and I sort of gravitated a little bit more towards short-term rentals. I had contacted a couple of people that I'd watched some YouTube videos about back in 2015 and I had, I was just very interested in short-term rentals. A lot of people I was contacting had like short-term rentals, saying like Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. One of the people on the, that ran one of the YouTube channels had helped me uh, sort of find different markets to, I wanted to move to. I was pretty dedicated. I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. I didn't want to move back to Detroit. So I decided on Asheville, which is where I currently live. Got my real estate license, helped people buy and sell. And I realized a lot of people, I'd already moved here for the short-term rentals, but a lot of people were already um, like that, that I was helping was already purchasing and selling short-term rentals. I started looking for a property to purchase with my VA loan. That was almost like, I was looking for like a duplex or a triplex where I could live in one and rent out um, essentially like house hack, but with short-term rentals. So I couldn't really find anything on the market. At least that wasn't, that was in my price range at the time. I just decided to, my very first in, uh, investment property was a, a ground up development, custom built ground up development. Usually not the way that that goes, but we started with that first one. We started building two more right after that. And then after the two, I was sort of pretty capped out on my finance in terms of like the loans I could get. So I took on my first investor, which was a, a joint venture deal, and then a couple more investors that we did joint ventures. And then it got to a point where I, I realized that I just sat down. And I was like, what's the best use of my time? Because like a lot of times I was driving, like I was driving around looking at 30, 40 properties just to purchase one piece of land. It started to get a little bit more intensive. We still do like the development of like eight to maybe six to 10 cabins with like a joint venture structure with maybe one or two investors. But right now we sort of switched over to the syndication 
model where like we're developing these boutique uh, like resort communities that we rent out on Airbnb and VRBO and the other short-term rental sites. But yeah, that, it just came from the what's the best use of my time. And the best use of my time is developing like these 40 to 50 unit cabin communities in the mountains right now where I can raise money for these projects. And I mean, everyone's gravitating toward short-term rentals right now because a lot of the cap rates are a little bit compressed right now. No, that's awesome. Uh, first, I just want to say thank you for your service. And yeah, I appreciate that. Just always want to honor those that have served and grateful. Uh, but you talked about, before I get into that, I want to ask you, why short-term rentals, you know, versus, uh, you know, I, I guess, why did you start to focus on short-term rentals? Not, you know, not like this moment as far as in the market cycle and everybody focusing on short-term, like you just said, but why did you gravitate in the beginning to short-term rentals versus say buying that triplex, fourplex with your VA loan and just renting them out long-term? What was that about short-term rentals for you? Just looking behind you, we have a lot of similar books on our bookshelves um, in terms of with real estate too. So I sat down and probably read at that time, like I, at this, at this point, I probably read like over a hundred real estate books. But at that time, maybe about 30 or 40 real estate books. Only one of them was geared towards short-term rentals because there were there wasn't really too much information out there on them. What I realized was like reading the multifamily books, reading the the flipping books, reading the, the single family house, long-term rental books, the cash flows were like, you're lucky to get anywhere between three to $600 cash flow per property. What I was seeing on the back end of like some of these people who I was reaching out to, the types of cash flows they were getting, it, it wasn't even close. It was like owning five to 10 single family houses compared to owning one cabin. So that's what, when I looked at my goals and where I wanted to be at at that time, I was like, the way to fast track that is through short-term rentals. But I think that is why so many people have gravitated towards it in the last three years is because they've realized how much these short-term rentals can actually make, especially the unique ones, like the ones that are cabins, A-frames, or some type of, that are unique in terms of like this design, if they're like condos or something. So well, people have just real, I mean, cat's out of the bag, like they, they cash flow phenomenally. Um, and that's that's what and right now it's like with there being like a shortage of inventory and, and a lot of people coming from like the long term rental side who are saying, hey, I just want like a 10 percent cap rate. I'll be happy with that. And I think that's why prices have been driven up a little bit. But yeah, just the cash flow to answer the first question. OK, no. So it was really that simple. I mean, ultimately, you know, it's just more cash flow. But but tell me about then the process of uh, just the being able to scale it. Right. I mean, it sounds like uh, I don't know too many people or maybe anybody that I can think of right off that scaled short term rental business where they're developing a 10 plus million dollar project, right? Uh, around short-term rentals. Uh, you know, speak to, I mean, it's interesting that your first project was a development and maybe you can start there. Maybe some, you know, why was the first project a development and how did you know that that was something you could tackle uh, to where you're scale, you know, and then move into scaling to syndicating these same types of deals? Yeah, I didn't want to purchase a property that was just a normal house that I could just put on the short-term rental sites, which still do pretty well right now. And all the properties that were either cabins or something unique about them that would do well as a short-term rental. They were just way too expensive compared to, I had a builder friend who ended up building uh, my first project. Um, we had like just figured out like price per square foot and everything. The, our first project was an A-frame. It was like a 900 square foot A-frame that grossed like 81,000 last year and then netted like 50 grand. That's sort of why I gravitated towards the development side was that it was like at the time we could build them cheaper. And I, even right now, it's obviously things have gotten way more expensive with COVID and stuff with like, 
with both labor and cost of materials. But there's no inventory for short-term rentals right now, at least in the hot market. So it, it still makes sense to develop the short-term rentals over over just purchasing. So did you, uh, you know, like even that first project or even to now, uh, but especially that first one, how did you know or have confidence in what the land was, you know, the value of the land was? And, and you know, to that knowing that, hey, we can go build something, uh, you know, with, uh, with things that are happening with materials and material costs or shortages. You know, where did that confidence come from to say, you know what, I am going to buy this land and we're going to move forward with developing this? Yeah. So my first one was around like 2017, which I, when I started looking for the land, uh, I leaned pretty heavily on my real estate agent. To, and this is what I always tell people is figure out like what an acre goes for in your area. We're, we're developing in more rural areas, maybe about 15, 20 minutes away from the city. But we also live in an area that people are used to driving. So like it's a drive-in city or airport. It's not really that big. So they're, they're comfortable making that drive, especially like we're known for like hiking trails and waterfalls and stuff. So people are used to driving 45 minutes to an hour to even get to these locations. Figuring out price per acre is a big thing uh, starting off and then figuring out like price per square foot with your builder. From there, just I, I keep saying unique properties, but like unique properties is what's going to market your property very easily on the short-term rental side. So I say Instagrammable properties is what you want. Like people who are excited to stay in your house where it's not just a place that they're sleeping, where the property is an experience in and of itself outside of like the city that they're visiting to. Nice. That's something to think about right there. Instagrammable property, uh, but the unique property experience. I like that versus just the, the surrounding, the things that you can't change really. Uh, you can change that property. You, you mentioned you started driving around, you're looking at 30, 40 properties or more, you know, just to buy one, but there was really this best use of time issue, right? What is the best use of time? How, how did that change? Like, how did you change that to where you're not driving around looking at 50 properties to buy one? What what happened there? One was, I mean, I got real estate development mentor to sort of help me really focus in on what my goals need to be or where I need to be, what I need to be doing right now to where I need to be at maybe in a couple of years. When you start purchasing, some of these larger parcels. I mean, it, there aren't as many of those on the market as say like maybe one to five acres. Um, so like, I mean, take for instance, like there, there would probably be at any given time, three to 400 of those like acre to five acre parcels on the market compared to like where we're purchasing anywhere between 40 to 100 acres right now. There's only maybe like 60 of those on the market. So a lot of the times I'm looking at, I won't even drive out to the property without doing my research on the computer and what that looks like is we live in the mountains we operate in the mountains. So we're looking at how steep the land is uh, through our county website. And then they have certain parameters that determine if we're going to be in something called a steep slope ordinance or a protected ridge ordinance that we usually don't build in because it takes way more time to get extra permits. And then it also costs more to like the foundation when we're building at a certain elevation. So that's one way to completely like just decide if we're going to, I'm even going to drive out to the property. And another thing too, is making sure for people who are actually wanting to do this themselves, or if they're looking to purchase property, the drive up to the property is very important. You don't want your guests to be driving 20, 30 minutes down a gravel road. You might see a listing and you're like, this is absolutely beautiful. Like, why is the price that way below market or whatever? More than likely, it's probably going to be the drive because you don't want your guests to be annoyed by the time they even get to your property. A lot of times they're driving in at night, it's going to be a new area that they're not used to. So once I decide to go out and look at a property, that's the first thing on my mind is like, what's the guest going to be thinking about as they're 
driving to this property. So a way to fix that is just to invest some property that's off of like a double lane state maintained road, a, a paved state maintained road. And then you can put in your own road. Like we'll put in anywhere between like quarter mile to a half a mile of road to get to the house. Nice. No, that's some great things to think about. And I, and I want to get into some of those specifics in a moment too, about uh, just short-term rentals, some tips that you have. But, you know, can you share an example of, of a deal you're syndicating maybe, or some some things uh, that to consider, maybe the listener's thinking about syndicating, you know, some type of short-term rental, or this is intriguing them, you know, speak to uh, maybe a current project or a past project that you syndicated, you know, and, and what that looks like, you know, the type of land maybe in the, you know, what type of buildings are you putting on there, homes or, you know, what are you, what are you building? For the people who are listening, just under like on the syndication side and raising money for development in general, like just understanding that there is more risk involved, like especially with like with coming out of COVID now, or at least like things settling down a little bit where like things can go wrong. Like there is more risk there, but there is more reward. That's I mean, that's why we're doing what we're doing. But when it comes to the syndication side, I mean, we're, we're raising the capital just like a normal syndication. And just I mean, I've leaned pretty heavily on the multifamily model to establish what we're doing here. Our very first, like, I guess, larger joint venture that we did was $2 million project, uh, six cabins right next to each other. And where, where the investors had put up almost all the capital. And uh, it, it was just a trust thing. I'm mean, just with just with multifamily or anything, it's just making sure that your investors trust you that even if they're accredited, just making sure that they understand the process up front, you need to understand the process. And that that comes from like, if you need to get a specific permit with the county, like we needed a, a specific vacation rental complex permit with our county, that took about three months. So just really under like really making sure that you understand what your county or city requires for short term rentals. That's probably the most important thing when it comes to syndicating deals like this, being upfront with your investors and telling them, hey, like it's going to take this long to develop these projects. Are you comfortable with that? Like having your money tied up there. It's not like a multifamily project where probably will cash flow right out of the bat if you're not doing any rehab work or even if you're updating some of the units the most of the units are still rented out or something so it's not like hitting the ground running with stuff like that and we do invest in properties where like it'll be like a cabin and maybe there's like 10 to 15 acres attached to it where we'll maybe have plans to develop another 10 cabins next to it It was more like a break-even thing where like our holding we do break even on the holding costs for the whole development project like i said before we started this interview it's it's just it's very creative and every project's going to be different that we do with our investors so yeah, such an interesting uh, model. You mentioned like maybe only 60 properties like that on the market. That's what, like, what would you say, 40 to 100 acres, roughly. I mean, is that like nationwide? Is that like in a certain area that you're looking? That's within our county. Oh, in your county. Okay. Yeah, in our county. Yeah, which is still a lot. That's a good number. To, but again, like I would say... 70% of them are in that steep slope ordinance that we we're talking about. And then we also have plans on getting the, the beauty about the mountains is you can drive an hour any direction and you're in a completely different market. Like hour and a half to us is like Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, the Smoky Mountains and stuff. So we do have plans on getting into other markets that I've identified that I believe are an up and coming. Um, Asheville's very competitive right now in terms of both properties and land. Yeah, we do. We had, we do have plans on getting onto other like mountain markets that are within hour hour and a half to us. Which I mean, there's probably about ten of them, and then we we've I've looked at two of them that I've decided to go into. So awesome. Uh, speak to maybe the market selection there. Uh, you know, how do you know that it's a market that you're willing to? you know, go buy, you know, hundred acres in and start a development for short-term rentals. Yeah. I forgot where I heard of it, but people like views and people like being up top, 
like they like being high. Like say like in New York, like you go to a sky rise and you like looking down and at, like looking at like a scenic view. So you want to invest in a market that's pretty scenic. I've realized mountain communities, this may be excluding the West Coast, but mountain communities, mountain cities are a little bit less seasonal than say like beach towns. Beach towns, like like say like if you're looking at the coast uh, in North Carolina, like in the Outer Banks, you, th- that's a little bit more seasonal than say like here in the mountains. We're, we're a year round market. We have our we have our high season, which is going to be later summer. And then the, the foliage or the leaf season in October, November. For the most part, like we, we cash flow pretty good throughout the whole year. So mountain communities, there's like three steps. It's like you want to be in a cabin when you're in the woods. You want a hot tub and you want a mountain view. That's sort of the three things that we look for. So it's like obviously hot tubs are pretty easy, but the design of the property and then also some sort of scenic view. Um, one thing I always tell people that have asked me that question is, you want a foolproof way, honestly, is to invest in areas that are close to a national forest or a national park, because you already have a built-in audience that, that are already visiting these parks. Like, I mean, with COVID, like uh, the national parks saw like record numbers in the last couple of years. Like, I think that uh, Smoky Mountains alone saw like 20 million visitors. So there, there's a shortage of inventory there um, in terms of like where people want to stay at. They might be staying in a boring hotel just to be able to stay in the Smoky Mountains. That's probably the, the quickest way to answer that question is look at that markets that are close to national National forests or national parks. No, that's interesting. I mean, 20 million uh, visitors last year uh, just in the Smoky Mountains. I, I believe it. I've been there many times. Uh, speak to what's been your your biggest challenge in this type of business, say, in the last 12 months? Yeah, this, that's a good question. I would say just putting my team together. The last 12 months, for sure, is just, just finding good work. I trust my GC a lot, making sure that my team is able to scale as quickly as I've, in my mind, I want to. And so the team's a big one. And then uh, essentially just talking to the short-term rental are a lot of the times the people who the investors I am talking to are interested in short-term rentals, but they don't really know too much about it. Maybe they're in self-storage, multifamily, mobile home parks, and they've invested in syndication deals, but they've never really invested in syndication for short-term rental development. Um, so it's it's sort of taking them, if they're approaching me, taking them off of that and sort of explaining how the short-term rental model works a little bit. My team, and then also just raising the capital raising has been a, a little easy, but it's just getting people to have that mindset switch for short term rentals. Because it's not like I can't guarantee like an exact number. Like every month is going to be a little bit different on the return. We're, we're playing around with different models right now with like class A and class B shares for the, the syndication stuff. So uh, what would you have done differently? You know, if you could go back, I say, you know, two or three years or you would you say in 2015 or 17 when you started? I mean, what, knowing what you know now, what would you do, do different? Just a mentor. I would have spent more time. And what I realized is there's a difference between a mastermind group coaching one on one and and just a course. So um, initially, I just started with a course, which has helped me out a lot. But I wish I would have like done the research to to find a really good mentor to, and put down a reasonable amount of money to get that mentor. Because like knowing what I know now, that as long as you do your research on your mentor, that mentor is going to pay for itself tenfold in the first couple of years. You're investing in yourself. Yeah, absolutely. That's the most important thing. It's so much cheaper than a college degree. That I have an undergrad and MBA, and what I've learned from finishing up a doctorate. But it's like when what I've learned from my mentor, uh, like. I mentioned in the in six months is trumps anything I've learned in formal education. So that's awesome. Any do you have any predictions, Alex, for the real estate market? Or and you can be specific to short-term rentals, say, you know, over the next six to 12 months. I like to tell people that the short-term rental markets are, I mean, recession resistant, I feel like is a term that gets thrown around a lot now. It's important to think about stuff like that, but the rates don't tend to move with the market, at least with the real estate market. So a good example of that is like in 2008 and nine, the rates stayed the same for short-term 
short-term rentals. The luxury saw a little bit of a dip, say like any properties that were sleeping, maybe more than 12 people, 10 to 12 people more, but the rates tended to stay the same. It's like people just decided to, Hey, I'm uh, like the market was bad. The economy was bad. I'm not going to, a couple's families were like, we're not going to take an international trip this year, but we'll still travel domestically. That's what we saw was like the rates didn't change. I don't really look like to look at COVID as a good gauge of how good short-term rentals were because we were all trapped inside of the country. So people were forced to travel domestically. So I don't really see occupancy rates dropping after international travel becomes more popular again, or at least people are more comfortable traveling internationally. But I do see rates dropping a little bit, maybe about 10%. But that's still, we were renting out before COVID and we were booked out 100% and with pretty good rates. And I mean, we did increase our rates for 2022 and we're seeing people book still. We increased them by 20% and we're still seeing people book the cabin. So that might cancel itself out where it's like we can charge more for the properties because of like people are comfortable spending a little bit more now because of inflation. But at the same time, like people are going to be traveling more internationally and it's going to be market specific too. Of course. Uh, And uh, my next question is kind of twofold. Uh, as well, uh, you know, as far as short-term rentals and developing, you know, like you're doing these larger projects, I, I love the scaling of, you know, it's not just like we're going and buying single family homes, turning them into short-term rentals, which met so many people who have made amazing businesses doing that. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, in a massive way. However, I love the scalability of, hey, let's go develop a hundred acres and, you know, do a, a short-term rental business that way. I, I mean, I could get on board with something like that. Uh, and so, but, but I wanted to ask you when dealing with projects like that, you know, how do you prepare for a downturn in that type of business model, you know, in short-term rentals? And what would you even foresee maybe even causing a downturn on a on the short-term rental type development business? So I wouldn't necessarily call it a downturn in terms of your city can one day just wake up one day and just say, hey, no more short-term rentals in the city or county. I know Asheville did it where I grew up. Detroit did it. We underwrite properties as long-term rentals. That's probably the, the most important thing. That might be a little bit difficult with how competitive some properties have gotten if you're looking just to purchase. I think it's important to at least say, hey, like, can we break even if we were forced to rent this out as a, a long-term rental? And that's worst, worst, worst case scenario. And there's different fail safes that we have in place for different stages of development. So a good example of that is I can go out, purchase a large parcel, any type of parcel, put in the work, get the engineering done, get the plat and the the subdivision, like the land subdivided and get it approved with the county in any type of market. And if say like we're in a downturn, I can then and say like my lender doesn't want to lend to me or I just don't feel comfortable with where we're at in the market to whatever happens in the market to actually develop this project. I can then turn around and sell that land as a land entitlement play to another developer who's probably maybe would be like better positioned to do something with it. That's our first fail safe is like, it would be a land entitlement play in the development schedule. And then, so between that and then renting them out as long-term rentals, those are the two fail safes we have. Um, It's just like, you never know with your city or county what's going to happen with the rules. Things are getting better though. Like I think with COVID, I don't see any city or county sort of pushing it. Like, cause I mean, most of the city or Airbnb collects taxes on your, for your property, for your city already. So I don't see any city or county pushing tax revenue away after COVID. That's a good point right there. That's a really good point. I mean, it really goes back to to knowing your county or city regulations around Airbnb as well. If you're interested in doing it yourself, like just go out and not even call them. Don't even contact them. Just walk into the county and ask, hey, can I talk to the head of planning or the, the at least his assistant or something? And I mean, they're there for a reason. They're they're there to help us in the community. So awesome. That's great to understand. And that, that you can just walk in there and talk to those folks and ask those questions. That can be very important 
important. Uh, and kind of a, a sidebar there. Do you do you do like RV parking as well? You know, on these on these pro- projects, or is that an option to increase uh, cash flow or anything like that? That's a good question. So we personally don't, um, just because of the roads that we put in. They're not. I don't feel comfortable like they're wide enough and stuff. Um, especially maybe. I mean, the biggest road we've put in was like eleven hundred foot. But there is a community coming up. It's more like a a hotel with maybe like eight A frames, and the A frames are actually elevated on stilts. And the A-frames are literally all right next to each other. They're almost touching. And you can park an RV under that. And I think they are upcharging for that. So it's, it's essentially an RV park with like a, a hotel attached to it, essentially. I started to play around a little bit with like how we can gain more revenue through the properties. Pet fees is a small thing that we do. We do allow pets, uh, security deposits. But we were thinking about just getting with like local service providers, like maybe like masseuses or like even restaurants and offering either a discount to our guests or like offering some sort of type of commission thing, or maybe like with like uh, wedding planners or something with some of these bigger projects. No, that's interesting. Uh, and we're all trying to do things like that, right? Like how can we increase the income? Uh, so tell me what's your best source for meeting new investors right now? Doing stuff like this, what we're doing right now, podcasts are a big thing, just getting our name out there. The YouTube channel that I started uh, last year has, has been really helpful. It's, it's mainly structured around short-term rental development management. We have people that just want to do it, that who approach us that are like, hey, we, we just want to invest passively. And we just uh, schedule a call with them. Uh, they talk directly through uh, to me. And then uh, we just talk about their goals and see what they, they're interested in doing. The money raising side has been easier just because people are gravitating towards short-term rentals right now. And there aren't really too many people syndicating, maybe two or three other people. What about uh, some daily habits that you have, Alex, that have helped you achieve this level of success? Yeah, Miracle Morning. I recommend that to anyone through Hal Elrod. I actually met Hal at the Bigger Pockets conference. I was like starstruck, which is because I usually don't get starstruck. But uh, yeah, the Miracle Morning, the savers, whatever he teaches in there, that's that's what I do every single morning. And then I've replaced the meditation piece to uh, Miracle Morning with just a couple rounds of the Wim Hof method. We were taught in the military to do before it even had a name, but now we the Wim Hof method and uh, Miracle Morning is the two habits that I practice every morning. Even if I wake up late or something, I, I still do it, say like on the weekend or something. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I was a magician for like 10 years prior to the military. And I continue to do it in the military and I've continued to do it as like a networking tool at different events. It's been the coolest icebreaker to do like a car trick or something. And I mean, like I've put some serious time behind this, uh, but what I've realized what magic tricks has also helped me do is like connect specific dots. And that's sort of what I'm really good at is connecting specific dots, especially with some of the creative stuff that we work on. Uh, with the short-term rentals. It's funny. It's like I was, you're talking to like a, a good group of people, a lot of which who've written the books behind me at the Bigger Pockets conference. It just like busts out a magic trick. It wasn't even like an investing question or anything. That's a weird thing to say, but I would say like learning magic or magic tricks, which I've read in a lot of like productivity books is a lot of these people, a lot of high achievers practice magic tricks. That's interesting. That definitely unique skill set. I've never talked about that before. That's funny. How do you like to give back? When I was in the military, just volunteering, man, DC, when I was stationed in DC, had a really good like volunteering program with different types of shelters. But also um, the YouTube channel has been what I've realized the quickest way to give back um, or just sharing my information for free. I would say just providing the information through the YouTube channel, I realized is the quickest way to reach the most amount of people that, that are interested in this. Alex, it's been a pleasure to meet you and have you on the show. It's, I still, I love the business model of just even thinking throughout a scale, you know, the short-term rental business. And you're definitely doing that. I mean, you're syndicating 
larger projects and and doing it much bigger than I mean maybe anybody I've heard as far as uh, around short term rentals. Uh, and so congratulations to you and your success taking uh, just uh, action right on the steps. Uh, I mean having mentors and putting those things in place uh, so you can grow grow that business and uh, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, they could they could look me up on LinkedIn. My my information, all my stuff's there. YouTube channel is Alex Builds. There's a little treehouse, blue little treehouse logo, or they can uh, look up my company that has all my stuff. They can schedule a call directly through there by clicking on the Invest Now portal. That's going to be sargoninvestments.com. I'm sure we can put it in the show notes. And that's probably the quickest way to get in touch. If, if anyone's looking to invest or have any questions, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book to this stuff. They just click on the Invest Now, fill out the stuff. I'll get a notification and I'll reach out to schedule a call. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day. Thank you.